Welcome to MD Notified, a pediatrics podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sufjak, and today we're going to be talking about HSP or henoch schoenlein purpura. Joining us, we have Dr. Allison Purick, who is a future pediatric cardiologist, and she's going to help us learn about this disease. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Dr. Sufjak. Thank you for joining us. So before we get started in the kind of nitty-gritty of the disease, how it presents, how we manage it, I kind of wanted to start off with a little bit of history. This is a disease that we most commonly know as HSP, which, as we know, is an eponym. Um, And there are two people's names in the name. And so it's kind of interesting to know where that comes from. Um, This is a disease that was described by two German physicians, Henoch, who was a German pediatrician, and his teacher, who was Schonlein. And they described it kind of late in the 1860s. So this is kind of interesting because now we refer to it both as HSP, but also as IgA vasculitis, which is this other name. And I think now we're kind of moving towards calling it IgA vasculitis um, more frequently, right? Because mm-hmm. we're trying to get away from the eponyms. Exactly. Um, but it is a small vessel of vasculitis, and we see it in about 10 to 20 children per 100,000 children, which is about 1 in 10,000 kids. So for perspective, we see an average pediatrician carrying about 2,000 to 3,000 active patients. So as a general pediatrician, you probably won't see this in your clinical practice very frequently, but over the course of a career, you will probably see a couple cases. Or if you choose to do inpatient pediatric medicine, you'll probably see this a fair amount. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. In the few years um, of residency, I think we've all definitely seen a few cases inpatient. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, it tells us this is actually the most common vasculitis of childhood, so that is why we see it more frequently than some of the other vasculitides. it does occur mostly in boys with a two-to-one male-to-female ratio, and it usually occurs under the age of 10, but typically in that, like, older toddler or, like, younger school-age um, child. Mm-hmm. And it most commonly occurs in white and Asian children. And what we found out about it um, as far as when it occurs in the year is typically in the fall or winter seasons, and that's because we see it following... URIs or upper respiratory infections. Yeah, definitely. And so it's kind of interesting to look at the seasonality of all of the diseases we see in pediatrics, especially the ones that we think are linked to uh, viral triggers. So this is something that we typically see more in the fall and in the winter. Um, And that's because we think there's an infectious trigger, right? The pathophysiology, although we don't 100% know, we think that there is an infectious trigger um, that causes an inflammatory response um, and this increase in IgA that then becomes deposited in vessels that are in the kidney, in the skin, and in the blood vessels of the GI tract, leading to some of the symptoms that we'll talk about. Exactly. So the sort of triad of symptoms that we see with HSP are first palpable purpura. Um, You also have arthritis or arthralgias and then abdominal pain. To make this diagnosis, you must have palpable purpura and then at least one of the other criteria. So first, let's talk about palpable purpura because this is the hallmark of this disease. This typically occurs in pressure-dependent areas. So in kids that are walking around and moving a lot, that's more commonly in the lower extremities, might be on their buttocks from sitting like at school or something. Um, But remember that in younger-aged kids that are laying down more often, it might be in different areas such as their back. 
In addition, the lesions arise in crops throughout their body, and they last about three to 10 days typically. Skin biopsies typically aren't needed unless there is um, you know, question or concern about what this could be, but um, they do show evidence of IgA deposition in the vessel walls and um, evidence of inflammation around the vessels. And of note, with the purpura itself, you can actually get um, non-pitting edema, especially of the extremities, and that's just related to that inflammation. It's not related to any renal involvement. Mm-hmm. Palpable purpura is, of course, the hallmark of this disease, um, but there are some other features that we commonly see. And the next common um, feature that we will see is arthritis or arthralgia. Uh, joint involvement will occur in up to 80% of patients with HSP. And one thing that I think is kind of interesting and very useful to remember is that arthritis is something that is joint involvement, that is joint pain and joint swelling, whereas arthralgia is just pain alone. So kids can have either one of those, arthritis or arthralgia, but some joint involvement is seen in about 80% of these kids. Um, Reassuringly, this doesn't lead to any permanent joint damage in these patients. And then the last part of our triad is the abdominal pain. So this occurs in about three quarters of patients. And as you can imagine, there's inflammation and involvement in the vessels of the GI tract. So you can have GI bleeding with this. About half of patients are guaiac positive. So whether it's um, obvious bleeding or microscopic, it is there. Um, You know, they can get intestinal edema, just like you can get edema around the purpura on your skin, and this can actually lead to intussusception because that edema can be a lead point for intussusception. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so the abdominal pain, the joint involvement, and the palpable purpura form the classic triad of HSP, but we also see a fair amount of kids who develop renal involvement. Um, which typically consists of either hematuria or proteinuria or both. Um, This is a little bit less common. We see it in about 30 to 50% of patients. Most commonly, it will develop in the first month of illness, but about 97% will develop by the sixth month of illness. So we can't have some kids who develop renal involvement a little bit later, which is good to know. Um, This can be as minor as microscopic hematuria, or you can have... um, really florid uh, renal involvement that progresses to end-stage renal disease. And then the less common manifestations that we don't see often can um, involve like the central nervous system with seizures or encephalopathy, the testes with swelling, pain of the scrotum, or even the lungs, but that is mostly in adult patients, not really seen in kids. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, one thing that I think is really interesting and good to remember when you're thinking about making the diagnosis of HSP is that the rash comes a lot of the times after the abdominal pain and after the joint pain has presented. So let's say you're seeing a kid who's in the ED or in your clinic, and they are there for abdominal pain and joint pain, and they're in that sort of perfect less than 10-year-old age group you would keep HSP in the back of your mind because they may be presenting with those things first and they may have the palpable purpura develop later. Exactly. And so I think that that moves in nicely to sort of our workup for these patients. So how do we diagnose them? 
Um, and that is typically a clinical diagnosis, which, you know, is really nice in a lot of ways, um, not having to draw labs and stuff on kids, but can lead to some diagnostic dilemmas at times as well. So, you know, even though we don't have any lab tests that are specific for the diagnosis, we can, you know, get inflammatory markers or things like that. Those are often normal. Um, all patients with HSP or with presumed HSP should get a urinalysis at diagnosis because you're wanting to monitor for that renal involvement. And then lastly, um, in kids that are sicker or, you know, you're more concerned about, you can get a von Willebrand factor antigen, which can tell you about the severity of the vasculitis and can also be something that's helpful to trend throughout their course if they are more complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what about imaging? Would you image a kid who has HSP? Yeah, so it definitely depends on their symptoms. Um, the real indication for imaging is if there's abdominal pain that is significant. So if they're having really bad abdominal pain, just like any other kid that's having that, you'd probably want to do an ultrasound, rule out into susception since we know that that can be a complication of this. And that can also look for some um, bowel wall edema, which can be helpful when you get to the treatment of HSP. Yeah, so when we get these kids um, either in our pediatric clinic or on the inpatient unit, we really mostly manage them with supportive care. Mm -hmm. And that consists of NSAIDs for their joint pain and joint involvement. Of course, you'd have to keep in mind if your child has any evidence of renal involvement because that would dictate what kind of supportive care you'd be able to use. We don't love using ibuprofen or Ketorolac in kids who... Um, have renal involvement because mm-hmm. um, that is how it, those drugs are processed. Um, additionally, we do use steroids for kids who have abdominal involvement. Um, mostly that's to treat the intestinal edema, mm-hmm. and the thought is that that will alleviate some of the abdominal pain. It is important to note, because there's been a lot of you know controversy and studies about this in the past, that steroid treatment does not actually prevent progression to develop renal disease. So we know that renal disease can develop months out, but giving a kid steroids just to prevent that does not help. Um, it has been shown, though, that in kids that already have diagnosed renal disease, that steroids can be helpful. And then in addition, if there's renal involvement that's, you know, not responsive to steroids or is pretty severe, there is indication for other immunosuppressants that you would work on with your, you know, nephrology colleagues and maybe rheumatology colleagues. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, we ho- thankfully, we don't get to that point, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is typically a self-limited disease. And we expect to see symptom resolution in about four to six weeks. Uh, Most cases are mild and don't have any long-term complications. Exactly. And really, um, although they don't have long-term complications, kids, especially if they're younger, when they have this, can have a relapse of the disease. About a third of patients in total have a relapse. And that's typically, again, associated with an illness, um, just like the original trigger for this disease. So just reminding parents to be cautious of that when their kids might have an illness in the future to watch out for these similar symptoms again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Parents love to be pre-informed that things may or may not (laughs) happen. They love to be prepared for things. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So we do our best to prepare them. Exactly. Let's talk about a couple cases of kids who 
have HSP. Great. Do you want to start with sort of a typical kid yeah. that might come in with HSP? Yeah. So let's say we have a five-year-old male. Um, he comes into his pediatrician's office because he has three days of abdominal pain. Um, the pediatrician gives him a once-over. He looks well. And they say, you know, maybe he's constipated. Maybe he has these other things going on. We don't really know. Um, but they send him home with some reassurance. Perfectly reasonable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then two days later, lo and behold, he comes back to the pediatrician's office. Mom says he developed this new rash. It's on his lower extremities. There's maybe a couple on the bottom. Um, and you can kind of close your eyes and run your fingers over the rash, and you can feel it beneath your fingers even when your eyes are closed. So you can safely say that this is a child who has palpable purpura mm -hmm. found on exam. Next steps for that kid would be uh, pain control, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And then, as you were mentioning, a urinalysis. Yep. And in the urinalysis, we're looking for evidence of proteinuria and hematuria. Most commonly, the urinalysis is going to be negative, right? Um, and so we would send this child home with Tylenol for some mild pain control. And then we'd expect him to completely recover over the course of one to two weeks. Exactly. And we didn't touch on it too much, but it is important for his pediatrician to continue to follow him for the next few months, just monitoring for any kidney involvement, um, given that we know it can develop, you know, up to six months later. Mm -hmm. So this is really like the typical case that you'll see for HSP. Um, but being that we work in the hospital, we see a lot of like untypical cases. Um, so another case that, you know, we've taken care of in the past, imagine that a four-year-old comes in they have some knee pain, some maybe like mild abdominal pain, but do have purpura on their lower extremities. So you're pretty sure that this diagnosis is HSP. They have labs like a CBC, a BMP, some inflammatory markers that are all normal, but they're just not wanting to eat or drink. So they get admitted to the hospital for some pain control. Um, one of our favorite medications to use for, you know, arthritis or those kinds of pain can be naproxen because that's just given twice a day for kids. You give them some fluids and then start some steroids because of the abdominal pain. And throughout that, they get better. The four-year-old's like running around the room, you know, playing with his toys, dinosaurs, so you send him home. But a few days later, he comes in with worsening abdominal pain, worsening purpura, and now has some scrotal pain and actually has some purpura on the scrotum that the parents described to you. Wow. Yeah. Um, pretty impressive, right? Mm hmm So once you get more history, you learn, oh, all of this started after they weaned their steroid dose because um, they were on a wean of their steroids. So you think, oh, they probably need more steroids. So you go back up on their steroid dose to what they were before when they were having um, improvement of their symptoms and he does well, you watch him for a day or two, you know, your analysis is, are fine, everything looks good, so you send him home again, right? Mm -hmm. um, Very and, reasonable. Right, and then a few days later, you know, the kid comes into the ER, 
and has bloody vomit, some bloody stools, and you're like, oh, wow, we have gone really far here. Um, but everything still seems consistent with HSP, you know, still had the purpura, still had the joint pains, and then it's just having that GI involvement, like we talked about, can be bloody. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those more complicated cases where you're going to get some friends involved, but can give some steroids via the IV so that their GI tract doesn't have to work. Right. And the thought there is that the bowel is so edematous, we don't know if it's even absorbing. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can at least bypass that, which is nice. Um, Give a little proton, proton pump inhibitor to help the stomach out. And then, like we had talked about, this is where you would want to get an abdominal ultrasound because you can also have bloody stools after having intussusception. So, True. Current jelly stools. Exactly. Yeah. So this kid, thankfully, doesn't have intussusception on ultrasound, but does have significant bowel wall edema like you expect from their presentation. So this is, you know, where you're going to involve other people. So the rheumatologists come in. They want to start a different immunosuppressive medication on top of the steroids And this is going to be in their wheelhouse then to continue to follow. Mm -hmm. This kid, you know, eventually got better with other medications and a longer steroid wean. But just an example of how HSP can be more severe. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What about older kids? Have you ever seen any older kids? Yeah, definitely. Um, So, you know, we talked about that it's typically in the four to six-ish age range, Mm -hmm. but I have had a kid that's, you know, more middle elementary school, 10 years old or so, um, that came in with a week of abdominal pain and joint pains and had been prescribed steroids by their pediatrician, actually, because of their abdominal pain, but had purpura that was worsening um, to the point where the patient couldn't um, even, like, sleep without pain control. They were taking ibuprofen at home, Tylenol, um, and still could not sleep, could not ambulate or anything. So came in really for pain control at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is mostly what kids with HSP are admitted for, right? Exactly, exactly. And like we had talked about, supportive care is often with pain control, you know, ibuprofen, NSAIDs, but that wasn't cutting it for this patient. So she was found to have bolus purpura lesions on her lower extremities that actually spread to the upper extremities too, because I think she was in bed more. So more of that pressure dependent area as well mm-hmm. and required more aggressive treatment with IV Ketorolac, so IV NSAIDs, as well as oxycodone and some morphine as needed. So she was eventually discharged with PO pain medications, but has been back, you know, had to come back into the hospital a couple of times just because of worsening symptoms and actually developed some kidney involvement here. And this is a, a situation where you would then want to maybe even biopsy a kidney because like you said, this kid is older maybe not a normal presentation of things and Mm -hmm. progressing worse than you would expect. Yeah. And she had some renal involvement that was seen on her urinalysis and on her basic metabolic panel, it sounds like, right? Exactly. And so had a bump in her creatinine on some labs and had um, protein and blood in her urine. So this shows you why you need to keep checking those and then sort of what you need to do after that. And that's when you involve your kidney doctors to help out. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, HSP is really interesting because it really runs the gamut of very, very cut and dry, can manage in the outpatient pediatric mm-hmm. office, 
to all the way to end-stage renal disease. Exactly. You don't know where they're going to fall when they first present. You just have to do the things in order that we talked about um, and see where they end up. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I think it's super interesting. So thank you for coming to chat with us about Hinakshan Lai Purpura. Yes, thank you for having me. We learned lots today. <laughs> yes, we did. We definitely did. Um, again, this is MD Notified. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to MD Notified, a pediatric podcast. References to the information sourced in this episode can be found in the Quick Notes outline, which is available on mdnotified.com. The contributors to MD Notified have no financial disclosures or conflicts of interest. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals in today's episode and do not represent any other organizations or its employees. The primary purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. This podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice or services. If you are a member of the general public and have questions, please make an appointment with your local board-certified pediatrician.